Hey, how's it going? This is Dave DeVore with MeshMesh. This is the What If We Could show, where every week we are asking that burning question around autonomous innovation and AI, artificial intelligence, potentially Web3, going deep on emerging tech. Uh, and so with me today, I've got Kevin Newest, uh, co-founder at MeshMesh, as well as Calvin Hones, who is newly back from India uh, after a number of weeks, which is super exciting. And I think what we're going to go after today is the new ChatGPT store, which launched. Um, I heard that there were like 300,000 GPTs that have been deployed in the store. Um, the other thing that I heard that I thought was really funny. So, we, you know, we've been hanging out in Web3 and in the world of blockchain. So we're very, very familiar with uh, lookalikes, right? So in this case, like if there's a NFT project or otherwise somebody might make a whole website that looks like that project with a slightly different domain. And then, uh, Hey, here we are. And they get people to come, you know, connect their, 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 uh, their wallet. And then all of a sudden your stuff is gone. And so I just thought that it was, I, I thought that the irony that wherever innovation is happening, here are uh, here are scammers uh, ready to take advantage of it was was interesting. So what I read was uh, and it was basically there are lookalike GPTs being created, same logo, same name, and so forth, um, but that they're actually trained uh, to try and get information from you. Um, and so we thought maybe today we would just sort of unpack like what does it take to build a quality G GPT, um, you know, what, what does that look like? What are best practices? Uh, what does prompt engineering look like to make them great? Um, and so I wanted to just sort of ask that question. We built a, a number of them along the way. Uh, I think, I think bit has automated like, uh, you know, a hundred or so GPTs that have been created as well. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, and it's a fun process. It's pretty easy for almost anybody to jump into, um, you know, so what I'll just kick it over to you, Calvin, like if you were to sort of think about like, what's the, like one tip or trick to get started with like, uh, you know, building a GPT, what, what might it be? Well, I think that, I mean, there's, it's a great question. I mean, there's many ways to go about building a GPT and your approach like you I mean you obviously start out with the GPT builder right so you're in the interface because that's currently the only way where you can actually build it and one of the best ways to get started we've seen this a lot like in terms of attacks is you can prevent the fact that it gives out your instructions right so that's the very first disclaimer that I would give everybody is to try and there's multiple ways to do that is to prevent actually while in conversation with the GPT to extract your original instructions. So they're basically speaking of what you said with the lookalikes, right? There are certain measures you can do to prevent that somebody else just steals your instructions and does the exact same way. But like what if I just ask it to, what if I just ask the GPT, I say, give me your detailed instructions step-by-step step so I can create a GPT from you and what you right. do. How many posts have you seen on Twitter so far of GPTs, putting out, printing out their instructions, uh, leaking exactly how they do what they do, right? It's happening very, very quickly. 
Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not super trivial to prevent it, right? I mean, obviously, like this is all a chat interface, and I think what we're still or what everybody's still getting used to is the fact that you're now basically programming a natural language. So it really matters as to how what kind of language you're using to build your GPT matters just as much as when you're talking to your actual GPT. Mm -hmm. uh, when you or when you're talking to chat GPT in general, is the way you're putting in language matters. And what you find when you build a GPT over time, because you're basically conversing with it, right? So while you're talking and building and building your GPT, it tries to make sense of it by building an instruction set from everything that you tell it. So when you go to the settings tab with the little settings icon, the gear icon, on your GPT, it'll show you the instructions that it has actually put out and created for your GPT, right? And while you're talking, similar issues happen that happen when you're in a conversation with GPT, you hit a certain context limit or it starts to forget things or some of your instructions get lost. So the longer you're interacting with your GPT, the more it can happen that it loses certain parts of your instructions. So from time to time, it's just very helpful to go back into your instruction set and look at what is it actually putting into my GPT and what is the actual content that is being produced as the instruction set and basically prune it. Right. So you can go back into it manually and make sure, you know, is the stuff that is in there after my 10 minutes of conversations with it still relevant or are some of the parts, you know, lost in the context window madness? And do I actually need to remove some of these things? Can you ask the GPT to summarize that for you and do that that work and and uh, provide back the double check of the, the context window effectively? Have it repeat back. The instructions that you told it and and uh is that is that double check what does that look like yeah it would be funny if you if you ask it back can it give you the instructions back and hopefully your <laughs> hopefully right. your mechanism of preventing that has worked at this point um but you can definitely do that right you can actually ask a gpt since it's all that natural language coding you can go back and and clean it up um but still like most of the things mistakes happen so it's always good to kind of double check your actual instructions there and and it's also funny, right? Like what you what you said, Dave, in terms of all the lookalike GPTs, sure these things happen. And also like your instructions can be put back. What's interesting when you're creating a GPT and when you think about the actual value that you're providing, the GPT instruction set is just the first layer, right? Like everything after that, the actual actions that you put in and the actual APIs that you put after it are where, in my opinion, the real meat of the value creation happens. Because like the, the initial GPT is a, is a good first set to make it easier to give you that initial instruction set that you want and get you to your results faster, right? Like, I mean, we've all been there when you're in a GPT and you're, you know, you start from fresh again every time you open a chat and you have to kind of bring the GPT back or bring chat GPT back to where you actually want it to be and then you can start the conversation. And in that sense, GPTs are a great shortcut to make that easier but the real value comes in when you start adding actions. And so I think when you're trying to think about how do you build a GPT that is really valuable is a good question as to what are the public services or other services that I can add on to that enhance the value of a GPT per se. Yeah. So or something that it cannot inherently provide. For, so for the, for those folks who aren't familiar with the, the, this idea of a GPT action, Let's break it down a little bit, right? Like, what can you do with an action? Right. Like, if you, I mean, as GPT is basically trained on an existing set of knowledge, right? It can, and that's necessarily what it's using to give its answers. 
So if you want to get any information that is not inherently part of that data set, so let's say information from the web, or it might just be something trivial as what's the current weather in San Francisco, mm -hmm. then you need to get this from another source than from GPT itself. So you need to use an external data source to provide that for you. And this is where actions come into play because you can basically call external services to get that information that is not available to GPT and pull it into your GPT as a text to then use it for the next conversation. So you can, you can put URLs in as an action, websites in as an action, right? And you can also put like JSON in and YAML and, and whatnot, like more, more like developer languages as actions as well. Like what's some examples do you think? What would, what would, what would be a good example of where you might uh, put JSON in um, on an action? So I think, so actions are basically built on what is called the, the open API specification, mm -hmm. right? So every service, every major service that has been built, you know, are these APIs, the interfaces to communicate it with, let's say you want to get data from Twitter or you want to get accurate weather data from weather.com, for example, mm -hmm. uh, built through a specification called open API specification. So that's where you can get to kind of tell GPT how to communicate with that action with another external service, right? And it's just a standard that has been developed to make that easier. So what you can do, you can go out and you can look at a specification of a certain API that you want to use out there. And this could be anything that you find in the web, right? Like let's take weather.com as an example. You find the weather.com API and you say, how does this API work? You can get an open API specification for that interface and then copy it into the action of GPT to allow GPT to communicate with it. Mm -hmm. And you can define actions, right? Like as an example would be, you define an action that's called get the weather and it has certain attributes that you can pass to it, like the location, like let's say San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And then what GPT can do, it interprets that specification when you talk to it and says, hey, look, I want to get the weather in San Francisco and GPT will understand, I need to call the get weather action with San Francisco as my attribute and it will call that and give you the result back. How about how about triggering actions? Is it possible to trigger external APIs to do to do things with a GPT? Yes, absolutely. Right. right. Just like I'm I'm using the same API specification to get the weather. I could also, well, in the weather case, it doesn't work as well, right? Because I can't uh, weather.com to <laughs> what you, I want your, the weather yourself, for San Francisco to be. <laughs> Self-reporting your, your hyper-local uh, weather, right. right? On your on your street for the for their data set, yep. Yeah, especially at this time of the year, right? You might, you might want to have that fog in San Francisco go away, but <laughs> that might be harder. Um, but you can definitely use it to execute any action, right? So let's say, I mean... What's a very interesting case is Zapier at this point, right? Because Zapier has webhook possibility. And Zapier so actions you, as well. Now. Right. So you have Zapier actions now, right? So you can basically tell it to reach out to Zapier on your behalf to do something. So you could do things like, and we've seen some example where they use GPTs as you're now more de facto personal assistant, right? There's been many different approaches for this. But one is you go in and you use your GPT and you say like, you know, do this thing for me, send an email for me. And you could technically do that with your own Zapier integration. 
Um, it's different than using it in your public GPT, right? Because you don't necessarily want your access to your Zapier be a public offering as a public GPT. That might right. not be advisable depending on your Zapier plan. Because um, <laughs> basically that would allow other people to use it. Um, your right. Account. So like, don't, don't hook up your email uh, to <laughs> right. a public GPT. Uh, right. Yeah. And so you're, you're in some ways uh, now you could, I, if it, if it goes to Zapier, I mean, the world of opportunity, like world of possibilities, right. And I don't know how many integrations Zapier has now, like, but in the hundreds um, and, you know, deep hooks in a lot of ways. Uh, and as well as we've seen a lot with make, um, and people sort of creating make templates. Uh, and then th some people have been s selling these make templates to sort of tie GPTs together with all sorts of sort of triggered actions out on the internet. I'm, I'm thinking, which I'm, I'm thinking a little bit about enterprise, right? And, and I'm thinking about businesses, right? And that's really where, you know, MeshMesh Mesh is, is focused. Um, you know, from the perspective of like security implications for an enterprise, there there is sort of an enterprise GPT version in which case all of that data, all the data that you put into it is siloed from everybody else, right? And I'm not I'm not sure if there is any type of additional um, features or functionality around uh, around actions and integrations, or do you know is it is it the same stuff? Generally, I mean, it's similar. It's funny now, now that they introduced the GPT store, they also introduced this additional team plan. I don't know if you, if you've seen that. I did. And yeah. with the additional plan, there's a, there's a small note saying that on the team plan, your chat messages and your conversations are not included in the training data by default. Mm. So basically, I mean, if they've added a, obviously as they're trying to, you know, get closer to enterprise, they've added a couple of more guardrails to, to first of all, limit how this data is exposed in the first place. Um, but I, when I it also comes heard, to calling actions is a bit of a different thing, right? Yeah, I also heard that the team plan right now, like GPTs that are created in the team plan can't be published to the store. You know, and I've, I've actually saw some people complaining because they ran out to get the team. And it's like us, like, it's like you want to mm. collaborate with the team. You want to like, hey, Calvin, can you look this thing over? Is it, you know, am I doing anything wrong? Or like, hey, could you add this action or or whatnot? And like quickly on a business side, you are, um, you know, you want to collaborate. So it makes sense, the team plan. But at the same time, they've, they've not enabled teams to produce GPTs. You're still on an individual plan to produce GPTs. And it all, I guess it also opens up the possibility as soon as you have teams, you also open up the possibility back to scams, right? Now, now you have teams of scammers who are coming in here and like, and going after this stuff. Right. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they separate the, you know, the, the good from the bad and the, you know, from, from the ugly. Right. Um, and how they, how, how they actually figure out what is, you know, what's, what is real and what's not uh, along the way. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, if you, if you have open AI, the benefit of the doubt, they tilted towards security by not allowing team plans to uh, publish publicly 
their GPTs. You could call that security. Like, hey, teams are just getting started. They're going to create some GPTs. They want to use them internally, and it would be an accident if they published it publicly. So let's just not allow them to right now. That's that's giving them the benefit of the doubt that that was conscious. Uh, mm-hmm. The other side of that is maybe it's just a feature request they haven't got around to yet. <laughs> it's just a okay. you know a day one. They don't have it unlocked yet. Uh, and, and then I think it's probably closer to the middle where it's what do you do with what you said, Dave? What do you do with controls at the team level for GPTs being created? So let's throw this in a giant enterprise organization that they've got team plans turned on and there's uh, 10,000 employees at said giant corporate company, one rogue employee, one intern, right? One contractor says, I'm going to spin up some GPTs and use, I'm not going to disparage any big brand names on this call here, but use big brand name uh, as the publisher to the store as the trust factor. And so then somebody jumps right in and uh, says, yeah. oh, wow, big brand released a GPT. Check this out. Goes gangbusters on, uh, on, on Twitter and is out there with thousands of people using it before the company can retract it and then going back to those actions right as a potential security uh loophole what information could someone collect quickly on a large group of people trading on some trust of a big brand so that's a that's gonna be a that's a scary that's it's probably a big scary one for for big brands to think about uh the permission levels right yeah and so we're, we're quickly into like business verification which is hard. I mean, we've seen that hard, you know, business and brand verification, which is really hard. I mean, we, we saw Twitter twi- try and do it. They're still trying to do it. It's and it's it, it's it's not easy because, um, you know, maybe you do it off of an email address, you know, but how do you know that the person with the email address at the organization has permission to represent the brand, right? So. Um, so it's like, you know, you're quickly at a place where you are, you know, doing doing verification and deals with like the executive office or, or not at all. Right. And verifying, you know, all sorts of like KYC, you know, information around who the organization is. So, it, which, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be super interesting as this stuff rolls out. I mean, the other thing too is that I think is going to be interesting is like, especially in organizations. And we know like these large organizations want just a lot of control. They want to be able to control not only with what people do, what people see, but they also want to be able to control um, how people act, right? And it's hard to do with a prompt, right? So, I mean, we, and I, I know we have another episode coming where we start talking about, uh, you know, we, we start talking about what the AI UX looks like in the future, right? But it probably does not look like prompts for inside of a brand. It probably does not look like wide open prompts, right? It, it looks like a lot more, um, it looks like a lot more use case specific inside of an organization for what a specific role can potentially do you know, is it like big yes, no buttons, <laughs> you know, as opposed to being able to, as opposed to being able to, you know, just uh, prompt anything into the, that they want. Right. Um, 
So right. be, um, natural language is also such a freaking vast space, right? Like we've, we've, I mean, we've seen that story before when, when, uh, you know, the, the, the Chevy example of the chatbot on the website, you know, you, yeah. you it's incredibly hard to limit it to a brand's needs. And I, I mean, open AI does an incredible job at sort of limiting it from, from the ethical standpoint, right? All the moral issues. I think a lot of these things have gotten a ton better. But limiting natural language space is not a trivial thing to do. And so, like you sure. said, right, like exposing that through a chat interface also opens up the, the amount of interactions you can do with it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how many brands start to adopt their own siloed LLMs. Right. And main for that specific reasons, just so that way they can really tightly control what it is, what it can do, what it's trained on. I think OpenAI has some of those capabilities, but at the same time, I, I don't know what the enterprise license is uh, on OpenAI. Um, at the same time, there's so many good open source LLMs that are popping up. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of competition for smaller language models that do very specific things that are a lot cheaper uh, as opposed to just one big, large behemoth, right? Yeah, and the benefit of cheaper training too. Like there's, there's a lot of it in terms of advancements. Yeah. And what if those enterprises want to air gap their you know, certain LLMs from the internet where it's, it just doesn't have access to the internet. So Mistral, for example, uh, uh, someone wrapped it in a mobile app. I downloaded it on my phone. I have the, I have the Mistral model LLM running on my iPhone 13 pro, right? I can, I can go, uh, to big Ben state park where my cell phone reception doesn't work. And I have effectively the knowledge of the world in my pocket right? 98% of the questions I would want to ask, I'd have the answer in an offline mode. So what does that mean for enterprises when they start stitching these together, both LLMs and smaller models, and they say, hey, these just can't interact with the internet because they don't need to, right? And then there's a, a one controlled gate that has, you know, human check and balance of what goes in and out potentially uh, to, to really make sure that those controls are tightened Versus trying to control, you know, tighten down the controls on the what will become hundreds of models running in their organization. Right, we're talking about ChatGPT right now as if it's like the only thing anybody is ever going to use, and there's not going to be hundreds of models chained together uh, doing their work and coordinating. Yeah, it's right. true. And then then only reaching out to in the cases where you do need external information, right, or where you need like up to date and recent information, and then let the reasoning actually be airtight, being you know air gapped and then going back to like what we said with actions right you can get the recent data from outside you can do that with basically any other model and then have the reasoning be completely air, air gapped yeah it's, so here's a here's an interesting question can you tie together multiple gpts with actions you can not well maybe the definition of a gpt right so the gpt as it sits right now in the store where you can use it is separate from what open ai calls assistance mm -hmm. assistants are essentially gpts but they are not accessible through the gpt store and not through gpt's mm -hmm. interface 
So what you create, what is now in the GPT store and the GPTs are through the GPT builder and can only be built and created and interfaced with through the chat GPT interface. And then on the other hand, there are assistants which have a similar capability, but are accessible through the OpenAI API. And so what you would need currently to interface from one GPT to another GPT is basically an API call. And since the GPTs are in public, you can't do that yet. What you could do, however, you could build your own assistance. Um, and now we're going into deeper dev, dev terrain, right? But you could basically yeah. build your own assistance, build an API server for it so they can talk to the assistants mm -hmm. and then build one GPT that can talk to these assistants. But it's not really like you have all those GPTs together right now talking right. to each other like you would need yeah. to build your own system and i mean there's there's a lot of the systems that you know we've also been building where you have multiple agents working together multiple mm -hmm. assistants working together but that's not possible through the gpt interface as of today so like crystal ball do you do we think that gpt is going to make it possible for people to tie gpts together in inside the interface so, uh, like Obviously, in um, we we can do it. Uh, we put our nerd hats on, and we'll you know tie some stuff together. Um, do you think it's on their roadmap to allow people to begin to use multiple GPTs orchestrated together? I mean, it's it is looking into the crystal ball, but my personal take is no, to be honest, because I think I think it's not directly in their line of sight into in terms of what they're achieving right i think a lot of a lot of the benefit of gpts to open ai currently is that it's a little bit like the like when you're a writer and you have that blank paper problem right the blank slate where you don't know how to start and i think what what they've seen with what open ai has seen a lot with chat gpt is that a lot of people have that initial hurdle they have this massive, wide open, infinite language model in front of them, but they don't know how to start. And so GPTs are a very, very helpful place or a, a very helpful mechanism to ease that adoption for them, right? Mm -hmm. Because now you can say, I have a very specific problem and I need a machine to solve this for me. Like, let's take one of the Python mentor GPTs that we have brought out, right? So you take yeah. that and I say, I want to learn how to use Python. So sure, I can go in, I can use that GPT and I immediately know what I'm solving for which is a lot easier than having, you know, that blank piece of paper to start with. So I think for the foreseeable future, that that is in their line of sight, what they're trying to solve. And they'll probably have enough problems to solve with the store, um, <laughs> again, for the foreseeable future to deal with before they think go some... and think about hooking them together. I think something that I haven't seen talked about really much yet is what what they really get from the store they just got tens of thousands of people to help them with their new user acquisition and right. their retention of their core service right we all just collectively gave workflows and use cases and helped uh remove blank pieces of paper from a lot a lot a lot of workflows like any any workflow like imagine something you can search the store and you can find a gpt to get started and get past the blank page of the the the, the first prompt yeah of the yeah. first prompt right and that's going to drive so many new people into gpt and open ai where they can actually one 
one, they'll discover a, an entry point into it. And two, they can actually get value out of it. How many people have you talked to that have said, yeah, I tried GPT, but you know, I it didn't really get any value out of it. Chatted with it for like 10 minutes and thought it was a cool parlor trick and, and moved on, not realizing or not knowing how to get started getting the value out of it. Uh, I think, that, and, and, and uh, no, unless I missed it, right? Like no pricing, no, no rev share uh, uh, model announcement yet on the horizon of how that works with store creators, and, right? And still, they had three hundred thousand things, you know, GPTs released. So you have to think about that, right? There are no conditions yeah. out there yet, but still, people are jumping on it. You know, they've 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 done that trend very well. I found it fascinating to look at what's trending um, mm. in the store, right? So, and I'll just read off. <clears throat> sort of like the some of the top ones here. So there's there's an AI research assistant trained on 200 million academic papers, which I know academia the consensus. is... Yeah, and, mm. you know, um, th uh, there's two at the top which are like, you know, PDF uh, assistants, you know, ask your PDF, you know, to like basically summarize it for you, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's a, a uh, there's a, a probably three or four that are like logo creator, image generator, um, you know, video GPT, uh, designer GPT. There's Grimoire, which is uh, which is a which is a coding GPT, which is number four, which is interesting. Um, you know, there's WebPilot, which is like you know you know, browse, write API offerings. It's also really interesting to su see who the creators are for some of this sort of stuff, right? And it's like, I didn't even know, you know, SEO.ai and, you know, scholarai.io. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of, you know, businesses and, you know, hackers and, and, and like tinkers, as, as we like to call them, um, you know, popping up and, and really interesting to see which ones are, are rising to the top. Um, but to your point, like there's, you know, featured is all trails, which all trails is a well-known app, right? I mean, mm -hmm. um, traditional app, right? Uh, so it, it's yeah, really Canva going, has I, been up the list pretty high too. Like that was one Canva of the has been examples. up there. Yeah. It got kicked off of the top 12. I don't think it's on the top 12 anymore. Um, yeah, Canva is up there. You know, but it's true. I mean, any given category, you know, programming, productivity, research, analysis, lifestyle. I mean, it is just chock full. Like, I it's like my I was I was I was talking um, I was talking about like college, uh, like and having having a like college fund for my kids, and I'm like, I don't even know whether it's necessary. Like, do do. They just need a GPT account and like, you know, like how many $20 a month. If they're self-directed, right. everything that we possibly need at our fingertips right now to learn anything that you want to learn. Um, yeah. And it's, it's kind of been that way with the internet for a while with, you know, with, you know, with, with YouTube and, and Google, but like, and now, now it's like, it's, it feels so consolidated and quick. You don't need to go spend all day searching around. You just need to know how to ask the right questions. Um, yeah, so it's going to, it's going to get really interesting. 
And I think I, I think that's that's precisely what they're trying to make better, right? In terms of asking the right questions, like to, going back to what we said before. I think I think what what OpenAI has probably realized, and I've gotten that feedback from a lot of people that I've talked to. They said, "Yeah, I used ChatGPT, but it wasn't really great." And to ninety percent of those people that you talk to, I was like, "Did you use GPT four? You know, and they they all use GPT three point five. So because you have to jump over that initial hurdle of paying the 20 bucks, right, to get into it. And like now to use the GPT, you have to get into the hurdle to really use it. But most people have only gotten into it and basically used the, you know, the 90, what is it, 86 IQ equivalent versus the 155 IQ equivalent of the solution. Literally Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein IQ difference, right? Versus, yeah. versus like a, a D in a D in math in high school or Albert Einstein talking to like think about that that's the, that's <laughs> yeah of course I wouldn't so I, it's a massive I'm like a three point five <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I mean that's why most of the people just jumped out of it because they're like okay they tried it they tested it, and they're like eh, it's not that great right and so I think now having all those specific pain points that you're really trying to solve is a great way to you know sell you into it and actually pay for the subscription and then actually get the benefit out of it. So I think with that, we're probably going to see a lot more adoption, you know, because people will actually start seeing the real benefits of what a GPT can do versus just a, you know, base version that doesn't give you anything really. So does, does it repeat this back to you, Calvin, does releasing the GPT store and letting people use GPTs allow OpenAI to delay bumping the free plan up to GPT-4 then. And, and it's, it's an entry point right now. The GPTs are going to let people get a taste of it and then they'll pay. Uh, and they still have in the chamber the bullet to say, hey, now everybody gets GPT-4 for their free account, right? Probably comes closer to when 4.5 or 5 comes around. Man, that in itself is a watershed that is probably also underrated putting the four in everybody's hands as the free trial. And then people, all those people you just talked about flipping and going, Oh, now I get it. Now I understand what this is. And then, and then it'll be walking them into, Oh, you like that? How about GPT 4.5? You, you want to talk to two Albert Einsteins at once? We got that for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a very good point. I mean, imagine just, just in, how insane the knowledge gap is now between people who pay the 20 bucks a month versus people who don't. It's like, you know, like what you said before, right? With the Albert Einstein example, it's like, imagine you would basically get access to 10% of the internet versus you get a hundred percent of the internet. Mm-hmm. What difference that makes and what you can do in your day to day is, you know, hard to fathom. Yeah, this, so, I mean, this, oh, go ahead. So Dave, you talked about your kids, you know, college fund and, and what does that look like in a world where they have access to AI, right? I, I want to pose this question. I, I felt like this, I, I heard this and I felt like this when I went to college, it was, you go to college to learn how to learn. Like that's the best thing that you can come away with uh, besides some credentialing, but the, the value is the learn how to learn in addition to having a blast doing it, of course, over four, maybe five years. And so now, Calvin, you said it's not, it's actually how, how to ask the best questions, how to ask great questions, which is a step function up if you, you know, we know it in our professional careers doing this two decades plus each, 
the, being able to ask the right questions is the way you get to the best outcomes and answers and not even having the answers, right? Asking the questions to teams, to problems is what unlocks that. Now I'm thinking, you know, there, there are people that are 10 and 20 years in their career before they figure out how to do that. Like, can your kids do this at like 16, 17, 18? And they're asking questions like seasoned professionals, 45, 50 years old, right? And then what does that mean when they understand how to do that and they're AI enabled for the next 20 and 30 and 50 and probably live for 100 years in a working uh, scenario? Like, holy crap. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I saw, um, I know, I don't know the reference who came out with it today. And they were saying up to 50% of um, ent entry level jobs um or not like uh knowledge-based jobs are are going to be replaced over the next five years right um which is kind of a terrifying number uh because it's and especially as we we are starting to see you know gens you know th that is that's not us right that's like you know my kids <laughs> for sure right <laughs> um and it's like man what are the what are the options like coffee shops uh I, it'll be interesting, you know, the one thing that I think the digital natives have is they have minds having played games from very early on. They understand the process of try something, it doesn't work, try something again, it doesn't work, and like, fi like finding their way to the end point. Like, I'm... So, it'll be interesting to see whether that translates to language, right? So far, like the, the, you know, visual and motor and mind skills are developing. I'm not sure, but that it's, I'm not sure if it's going to translate to language because that is the interaction that's missing inside of a lot of games. You're not having, you're not having conversations. You're not articulating, you know, and you might not even be, you know, unless you're in school learning how to spell, learning how to write, um, you know, I don't know that that you're really going to be prepared to um, prompt with the Lego with with sort of the the level of quality uh, that'll get you there. So it's interesting because I can see how on one level kids are way more prepared than we are in terms of their brain development and working their way through games on another level on a lot of times i think they're underdeveloped in terms of their ability to communicate through written and verbal means um yeah, and, and not not to speak of social skills right i think not to speak of social like, skills right right what you were saying like i mean okay does, does do we do we still need a college and the more and more i think about it and or do we need still need schools i think that the primary reason we probably do need schools in an age of like full-on artificial intelligence so that we learn how to deal with other humans you know it's like a <laughs> training training to not hit each other right you know all the basic social skills like if you think about it that's what school being in school really delivers right because now you can get all the knowledge everywhere right i can sit in front of chat gpt and get what i want what i cannot learn is that you know there's another person with another need and that might conflict with my needs and that might require compromise and how mm -hmm. do we do that without you know hitting them on the head basically yeah. 
kind, kind of though too, right? Calvin, I, I know we've got some different flavors of growing up and, and, and uh, school experience living in different geographies. From my perspective, uh, US based, very small town based as well. I, it, it gave, uh, you know, IRL school gave some forced social skills building, but the vast majority of the school experience was actually built to separate, to uh, control, to uh, uh, limit interaction between uh, students and building those skills effectively. So only through proximity did you have to, to out of like almost a survival style, right? Versus an opportunity to thrive and, and build those and strengthen those. Uh, I know my, my partner is a Montessori teacher. Uh, she's lucky enough to be able to translate her experiences and offer something I think is a lot better at building empathy and those social interactions. Uh, something like that, I think is then at that point, I would say, yeah, like that's, it is literally the most valuable thing from my perspective that those children get out of a, a Montessori style experience. The, the slim down, uh, uh, how, how would a public school fix this version? I, I, I revert back to my, uh, my, my dogs and going like, well, they just need to go to the dog park and socialize. So that's the, that's the rudimentary way of what's public school version look like where you take your kids right. to the, 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 the place where they can socialize together and you remove the education part. The education part's not needed. We got that. AI's got that. Internet's got that. We just need to put you all in proximity and, and be nice and play nice for a while, right? Build those skills. Yeah, it, it's going to be, it's going to be super. I mean, one of the things that we've, you know, we've talked about is like um, prompting is the new code, right? And uh, that, you know, the, the, the engineering of the future is not going to look like engineering of the past, right? And so um, it'll be really interesting at, as that practice starts to figure itself out and we're like very very early in on like you know pr pr like pr like prompting you know applications to come into existence and um i'm i think i'm out of anything out of ai having sort of built software for so so long and whatnot I, that's probably the thing that i'm most excited about is like you know uh being able being able to just go from idea to prototype and there's already apps out there where, you know, prompt a website to come and, you know, to, 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 to be written on the fly. Right. Um, and I think it's going to be really interesting uh, as, as, as that comes along. But then the other thing that starts to come right behind that is AI writing AI, right. <laughs> AI prompting AI. And we, we've, we've also been exploring that as well. Um <clears throat> And it's, so it's, it's very good. Yeah. You know, so anyways, that, that's the stuff that I'm most excited about. I think that I have a, I have a friend who um, also has little kids and he, he started very, very early on. He was sort of on the same tip. He's like, man, college is, this is not the way. And he started very, very early on, like teaching, teaching his kids uh, some programming and how to find the answers that they need and, and whatnot. Um, and really sees the future as like, uh, you know, self-taught and, and less, and less institutional, and less mm -hmm. institutional. Um, it, 
it, it's, it's interesting when you think about what you said with the example of now using natural language to code. I want to I put out an analogy, which I think is interesting to think about. So you are bound to lose a certain level of detail as you go up an abstraction layer, right? We're basically going from code, we're going warmer abstraction layer higher, which is natural language to describe the problem that you're solving, the app that you're building, the website that you're building, whatever it is. So you're bound to lose a certain level of detail. And it's a similar example that when you're going from like, you know, when you used to code stuff in assembly, right? When you basically gave jump, you know, jump left, right instructions in your code. And then you went up to an app and an actual interface, right? There were similar arguments back in the days where you said like, yeah, but you can't be as precise with it as you could be in assembly. Yeah. And the reality was that in 90% of the cases, it didn't matter. Right? Doesn't the matter. Precision that you use for it just didn't matter. And so now we're at a very similar point in time where you know a lot of the developers say, Yeah, but you, I can't do this and that, I can't do this precision level, you know, I can't do the 98%. But the reality is that you only need to cover 90 to get to 98% of the cases that really matter. And this is the point where we lose in 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 our level of going from abstraction level to next. Yes, we invariably lose detail. But we accept that because we say it doesn't matter. It makes us so much faster. But it's just very interesting to think about that. And now think about the implication for code. What you can see is that everybody says, yeah, my website is special. Or my app is special. But the reality is they are mostly the same with minor changes. And so as we go up that abstraction tree is like how much level of detail are we willing to lose? And it, it's it's an interesting thing to see to which level it will play out with natural language to replace coding in that abstraction layer. Where do we hit boundaries? Which, where, where does it stop? Like how much detail do we actually want to lose in, in the application? And my hunch is that we would be very fine losing most of that detail, right? We're gonna lose we most of it. We'll just be saying, yeah, I, I, I just need an app that is a table that allows me to store this and that information, right? Whether this is, you know, a very specific form of a table and whether it uses an underlying programming language like Python or JavaScript to do it, do I really care? No. It gives me an extra 10 mi milliseconds of performance upgrade. At that moment, I don't care. I might care if I'm scaling to a million people, right? That's a different gameplay. So that's why I'm saying it's interesting if you go to big enterprises, will that apply as well or not? Will it apply to these software solutions where scale matters and the 10 milliseconds matter? But like I said, in 98% of the cases, it just won't matter because no one cares about the 10 milliseconds. I saw, I saw this, this meme um, from a developer and he was basically like, yeah, everybody's saying that AI is going to put, you know, developers out of a job. I, I don't think so because that would require the, the client to actually describe what they want, right? And, and so... And so you still, you, he's, not, he's not terribly like, wrong with it. He's not terribly wrong. Cause like, even, even in, in, it's like, you, you know, we, we see this all the time. Like if you're trying to build something for somebody and, you know, they're trying to imagine what they want and like getting people to give instructions for exactly what they want is really hard, you know? And, and, and it's like you, in order to, actually get there it's like we well, almost have to take them through a design sprint and like go deep on like 
you know, very specific questions around, you know, the, you know, this thing or that thing, or where's this going or where do you want to be six months from now or a year from now? Or, and so it's, it's interesting. Cause I think part of the role that I think I'm excited about from an engineering perspective is like, it's puts engineers a little bit more in the role of um, architects and less code monkeys. Right. And it, which right. is really where engineers ought to thrive, right. Is, is sort of at the level of, at the level of thinking about like systems thinking and, 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 and being able to put together complex problems into a solution. That's really where. Yeah, and and the, business the requirements, right. And business requirements. Like that, that's right. what inches into product and biz dev and business development in general. Right. right. Like, this is, yeah. I think it'll be a mix of that in the enterprise. It's, it's a twofold increase in proliferation. Oh, hit that in a second. And then, the other is I think that the the generalists that can solve business problems and drive towards outcomes are the ones that survive and grow and thrive in organizations. And so it's actually the changing of the roles and responsibilities and the minimum requirements for jobs. The proliferation part, think about, uh, I think this analogy holds up, a, uh, a, a Photoshop designer, right? Sometimes you really need a really great designer to get into Photoshop with a lot of layers, a lot of brushes, do a bunch of stuff I can't do and come back with some amazing graphics. A lot of time, I just need to pinch and zoom and crop and filter on my phone, right? And so as that proliferated, the amount of content that was created and edited, you know, thousand million folded over the last decade. I think that that is a similar uh, uh, that'll be similar to what will happen in uh, software, especially internal software. So fif today, 50 percent of software is internal in the company that they use to then deliver the output, the outcome for the business. Mm -hmm. So now all the little things that they are uh, they wish were automated in their workflows, that they wish they had a tool to help them with they can speak those into existence and they'll be they'll like small and tiny. So the GPT store is like our first look into what that looks like without UX UIs on top of it, which will be required, will be mandatory, but it'll be more about speaking your UX UIs into existence and be like, that's good enough. I need it. I need it. As you said, Calvin, what are most apps? It's a table to put some data in and display it back out. Right. And then give it to me when I ask certain questions of it. And, and that'll be this giant proliferation of those. And then we'll still need those generalists that are absolutely able to translate business uh, uh, requirements into those outcomes. So I think it's going to really be this giant, it's going to be the, the bell bar approach effectively. Yeah. We we've talked about too, like, well, we know about, especially enterprises, like they want to own their tech. And so, um, at, I really believe that as the cost of building software goes down, the less likely people are to renew their, their SAS, their, you know, expensive SaaS solutions um, because they'd rather just build it and own it and control it themselves. Um, and we've seen that with, we've seen that with, with organizations that we've worked with where they're, they, they want to own it. They've got a DevOps team. They, you know, they're they're if they, if they don't own it, they're going to figure out how to build it. And they're very picky about what they're applying licensing to because it ends up, both being a operational cost, but also, you know, 
change management, both getting into it and then getting out of it and, and so forth. So it's going to be really, you know, it's going to be a break, really a um, massive shift in terms of how software gets built, how it gets used um, inside of organizations, how, how the economics of software work. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Can we call it, can we call it SAS is dead? 2024 is the beginning of the end for SAS, right? I, I wasn't going to go there. Um, yeah. But have, have you looked at the, have you looked at the, have you seen the once.com manifesto? Have you seen that? Yeah. The, from, uh, example, from Jason co-founder King. of Basecamp. Yeah. 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 And they've, yeah. they, they, they actually put signals yeah. and they put something out. They actually, I think they put out a product that you just buy once. Pay for it once. Yeah, that's, that was the whole idea. Yeah, man, I hate. I always hate it when I gotta say like, yeah, Bitcoinski was right, but he was this right. is what he was talking about a year ago. <laughs> he was right. I, ar- yeah. I argued with him. I'm like, no way. And here I am, like eating my words. I'm like, damn it, man. He's right. Early, uh, but right. Yeah, there's this one sentence. <laughs> Perpetually that early. That <laughs> Perpetually early. <laughs> Yeah, yeah but, it's, also... but, it's, but it's very true. Like also the the models with the the pay once, pay as you go. Like I think we're going to see a lot of these like reoccurring, and like come back again in twenty twenty four. I would double down on that. 100%. The mix, the middle mix, of the the once. I I heard him um, you know do an interview about it. When, he, when I first heard it, I was like, that's the biggest problem I have with it. Not isn't. Um, the, the best part is paying once for the software. The biggest problem I have is thinking that enterprise organizations can host their own let's say slack instance right and and run the ops for that we we've seen challenges in organizations i've i've been in organizations where that's been a challenge but if you assume that that's a skill they have to build and they solve that then that that becomes what tech is at that organization that they have to have ops the middle ground would be well there's a paper usage version that is the hosted version, right? That's probably the middle ground that, that will pop up and it will, it'll look like every paper, paper message. Like how many messages did your organization send? Awesome. And it's going to still be a 10th of the cost of the SaaS version. Right. And I think, I think whoever's going to bring out a very efficient maintainer, GPT AI is definitely going to be in for a win there, you know, because like as soon as you have a pay once and it's going to be an enterprise hand and the software will get rusty right mm. like who are you going to call right unless they yeah. develop the internal capability to solve the software that they haven't built i you know definitely a problem that needs to be solved calvin can't help but put his security hat on and go yeah but who's gonna hot fix the security holes <laughs> <laughs> who's just gonna just update bump the version number please <laughs> yeah There's, ai should be an ai for There's that, AI for that. Sounds like a good weekend project. Yeah, this has been awesome. We have we we we've diverted away from GPTs, um, but you know, I mean, culturally, I mean, OpenAI has done something um, remarkable. From forget about the tech. I mean, just the just from the perspective of, and we've been you know, sort of in this technology for Kevin. You you ran a you know machine learning startup years ago it's you know we've 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 played around with you know a lot of ai technology over the past you know decade or 15 years of different sizes and shapes 
But what I really like about OpenAI is like they brought it into the general consciousness. Yeah, and, yeah. the limelight and sessions and, for sure. And and that's when change yeah. starts to happen. Is is when people when people wake up and and discover something, you know, net new. You know, that's when real. That's when things really start to accelerate. Um, is when the general general consciousness starts to become aware of a new technology that that is that is that is a, a change agent. So, um, Keep, no matter whether we like them or hate them, they they uh, they have done that uh, for the for history. sure. Can I can I throw out one more crazy idea? Smashing our Web three world together with what OpenAI has now done with the uh, GPT store. Mm. So what if they wait a little bit to announce their monetization, uh, you know, payment plan style for the store. And when everybody gets restless about it, they say, they look at what GPTs have been used based off of usage and they airdrop options in OpenAI and is it is a, is payment. So if your GPTs got a lot of usage here in this time where they're trying to figure out how to monetize it and pay it out, great news get a little bit of KYC to do, and you can literally buy like strike price options in OpenAI. Here's your payment. I think that would be a cool mash the worlds together because we've seen that incentive align a community real fast in Web3. Like, that would be amazing to then own a piece of this uh, this revolution here that's happening. And then instead of you go from you go from being upset about the uncertainty of the payment plan of the GPT store to a ride or die creating GPTs and touting it on every single channel, right? So when's is it, it is OpenAI bold enough to airdrop options in their company? Well, Be the it, first. for sure, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting that so many people have. I mean, it's interesting the net collective you know build around GPTs, and they haven't even yet defined how people get paid from this stuff. Like I don't, I have not heard one line item like, well, here's how you get compensated. I mean, you know, I think that, I think, um, you know, in the, in the near term, I think that's sort of what people are sitting on their seat trying to figure out is like, well, I built this thing. How do I get paid? You know, is it, (laughs) it's a store. There will will be questions. (laughs) (laughs) It's a store and you know, you guys are getting paid, but how do I get paid? So um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting as we see that, that roll out. And it's like, when's the next GPT who, like, who is the next GPT billionaire, you know, or, you know, or is there a whole creator economy that starts to pop up around GPTs is, is, is exciting to think about as well. So we shall see. So we're, we're coming up at the top of the hour. So thank you guys. This has been a thrilling conversation as always. And um, I'm going to go ahead and, and sign out. And, you know, thank you, audience, whoever you are. Thank you for tuning in. And we'll, we'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Thank Later. you.